Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cricket with an Accent. This is Saqib Ali hosting the show, and I'm joined by Aftab Khanna making his third appearance on the show. And I hope, you know, this is the beginning of a few more from Aftab, if he can make time to join us here. Uh, big series starts in a couple of days. We should have recorded one yesterday. Uh, so I've given you guys, uh, whoever's listening, in ample time. But uh, So this will be on short notice. By the time this show is released, it'll be race against time, and hopefully... A lot of the loyal listeners out there will tune in. So, Aftab, I know it's a work week uh, for both of us with time zones. It's tough, but, you know, India going to England is always, uh, according to me, it's a marquee matchup. Uh, since India has conquered Australia now twice, this remains like the marquee matchup for a touring Indian team. Well, thanks for having me on again. Um, and I agree. I think this is a, it, it is a big uh, face off uh, given the quality of the the two sides um the personnel the fact that we are starting a new uh, cycle for the world test championship and um england kind of remains um sort of a final frontier for kohli's team where you know they've come close last time around it was a closely fought series um and this is kind of like their opportunity to to get another test series win on overseas soil yeah, interesting you said that as India just lost in June to New Zealand in the World Test Championship final and the new cycle mm-hmm. has started. And you and I did some research looking at last five tours, which we'll probably get to the tail end of the show. But the frequency of how India is visiting England and Australia has increased in the last few years. Don't you think so? It used to be at least yeah. four or five years, right? Yeah, and it's probably still maybe a four-year cycle. Uh, I mean, if we look at it, um, this is this is a three-year cycle now between 2018 and 21. Uh, I would agree the the frequency in Australia has definitely increased in in this millennium, um, and that again I think speaks to the dynamics of the big three. Um, the fact that when they play between each other leads to a larger TV audience, um, and um, and the fact that there's 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 popular demand um, and the cricket's competitive, um, which which makes sense for um, you know the television channels as well. And <laughs> I mean, just to make a snide remark here, I mean India's calendar is open because they only play eight other test playing nations, and there's one test playing nation they refuse to play with, so they always have space. Yeah, uh, we, we know who that is. So, and big three, right? That's a, a term that goes around a lot in tennis and in cricket for uh, mm-hmm. slightly different reasons. But it's fair to say England and Australia, along with New Zealand, have to be the better test sides. Uh, I would England, agree. India, I and England. I, I said Australia, so I take it back. India, England, and New Zealand. So, where mm-hmm. do you want to start with? I mean, uh, we have a slight uh, change in plan because of one Ben Stokes. Uh, Mm -hmm. That wouldn't have been the first question. I would have focused mostly on India, but India, according to many, uh, since uh, since May, when the talks of the series started, uh, had Mm -hmm. a very good chance winning here. And uh, what does this do to their chances? Are they still co-favorites? I haven't even looked at the line. Or are they firm favorites in your view? Let's let's talk about your view. Yeah, I mean, before the the news of Stokes withdrawal, I, I probably wouldn't have said India are the firm favourites. I think England play at home. Um, India India have their problems, particularly on the batting side, right? They, there's fragility in the top order. Um, Gill has gone back. Mayank is not going to play now with, with his concussion, right? Rahul's been out of red ball cricket for a long time. So they, they, they have a certain fragility at the top and it's not as if their middle order has been scoring a lot of test runs off late, right? There's, 
um, question mark over Pujara and how quickly he comes back to form. Um, so they don't have all their boxes ticked. So I think it was a little bit, I sensed a little bit of overconfidence to label them as firm favorites. And maybe a lot of that, that was, um, you know, indexed on England's one loss against New Zealand. It's a bit like, um, you know, if you're previewing an India-England series, like maybe what what, what happened earlier in the year, right? Um, when India play at home, they know the conditions, they have the right bowling attack. Um, it's the same for England. Uh, they have two very experienced seamers. Um, even though they don't have Jofra Archer, I think they have a good supporting cast. And if the conditions are, are in their favor, um, then it will be an even contest. I think what keeps India in the hunt is their bowling lineup um, and the fact that they have four or five really good pacers uh, who can bowl well. Um, so that I think evens the contest out. But um, to me, I think it will probably come down to um, two questions. Um, which team ends up out batting the other? Um, and, you know, can India's, um, you know, batting at the top make up for its um, fragility in its lower order because we know the Indian lower order is not going to contribute a lot of runs, whereas probably the English lower order will, especially if they are playing the likes of Sam Curran. Um, so that is probably where it might end up getting decided. No, it very well may, and you, you're definitely on the, on the right track, uh, according to me as well. But uh, let me just plug England back in here quickly, even though I wanted to focus mm -hmm. on India first. Uh, so would you think uh, Indian seamers, uh, don't, don't you think actually, Indian seamers have an edge when they go against this English batting lineup without Ben Stokes? I, I think they, they will. Um, I think what makes a difference with Stokes going away is the balance. Um, because Stokes can give you 10, 12, maybe even 15 hours in the day, right? And I'd be curious to see like who... England pick in the 11 um, and what that composition of that 11 looks like. Um, because what it might then mean is they go with out and out, you know, four bowlers. Um, and the fifth bowler then might not become as crucial as it probably would have been in the case of Stokes, right? I mean, remember, like Stokes can bowl in the middle of the day. He can reverse the ball if it's the conditions are dry. Um, he can bowl the heavy ball, hit the deck, right? So Stokes is a is a proper wicket taking all rounder, um, you know, and, and that not being there might mean that you know the Indian batsmen might be able to see off Broad and Anderson. Uh, and then have a slightly more easier time against maybe the likes of a Sam Curran or, or an Ollie Robinson, you know, if he's if he's playing, or even a Mark Wood. Um, so theoretically, it can make definitely life easy for India. I think what it might also mean is, um, you know, Stokes rallying the lower middle order of England is again something that they might miss, right? He's he's produced a miracle before um, against Australia at, at Headingley. Um, so he's a very dynamic player. And I think that definitely uh, works to India's advantage. But I think it works more from a batting perspective. Um, the fact that you have a quality fifth bowler not there, um, I think that's going to make a difference because, um, you know, depending on India's combination, they'll probably play three pacers, four at, you know, if they're really punting. But England could have very easily gone in with a four-man four pace attack plus a spinner and Stokes being that fourth pacer. I think that will now be a challenge for them in terms of figuring out what that combination is. Again, a couple of ways I can you know go further here. One is this mm -hmm. series, like last one, is starting in August and we were just both talking about that, how the 2011 yep. series and the series prior, the slots became in July. 
And if you move closer to June and July, that's, I think, where some of the seeming, best seeming conditions. Now, uh, I think there was a Crickbuzz article with Harsha Bhogle, which I was looking, 2000, sorry, mm-hmm. August onwards, uh, that these wickets become more conducive for spin bowling. So do you think that's going to weigh in? And this is the venue where India won their only test on their last trip. So let's look at India's bowling composition. Let's do it differently. Who would you, mm-hmm. you be playing, uh, considering if you're playing, are, are you playing five batsmen, or six batsmen plus Pant, or is Pant your full-time batsman? What are you looking at if you were going to, you know, pick a team for this match that starts on Thursday? Yeah, it's, and I think that's that's sort of like the biggest selection question in my mind. Um, the the bowling combination. I don't think I'd be too worried about um, the batting order. I, I I feel you know KL Rahul will probably come in and, and open with Rohit. I I think that should be an easy selection for India. Um, you know, Pujara gets to stay at three. Um, Kohli bats at four. Hopefully, Rahan is fit. He bats at five. Otherwise, I think Vihari comes in as a replacement. And then Pant bats at six. And then where do you go after that, right? So I think the choice then becomes, depending on the surface, do we do we have enough confidence to maybe play both Rahane and then Vihari? And that means Pant bats at seven, and you have Ashwin plus the three seamers. And the three seamers, in my mind, starting seamers have to be Ishant, Bumrah, and Shami. I think you start off with your main attack, um, you know, with, uh, with with Siraj and the others as kind of like backup. Um, because it's a long series. It's a five-match series, right? And we've seen in Australia how quickly players can get injured. So I don't expect India's front line, you know, three seamers to play all five tests. I'll be surprised if they do, right? And at some point of time, they, they'll have to think of how they're managing workloads. But to me, I think the choice becomes, do you do uh, Vihari, Pant, Ashwin and the bowlers, or do you do Pant, Jadeja, Ashwin and the bowlers? And I think India has shown in the past that they have a lot of confidence in Jadeja's batting as well as in Pant's batting. So I won't be surprised if the starting lineup is month at six. Um, and my sense is, uh, Sakib, that if it's not a total green top um, and they feel that, you know, it's, you know, conditions are not going to be like overcast in the first two, three days, like maybe if it's not like a Lord's 2018 kind of a pitch and conditions, you'll probably see a team that's on the same lines as the Test Championship final because they would want to give themselves the option of having a second spinner um, and creating a little bit of problem in the second innings for, for England while still having three very good um, quicks. It's very interesting remarks you made at the end because I, I can't make up my mind. So are you, because this is more on me, but are you basing this decision on, you know, the lower middle order, how the bowlers can actually bat? Because in these conditions, uh, India have been, you know, found out in like five of the last yeah. seven overseas, you know, the numbers are there. The tail yeah. is... Uh, you know, a bit deeper compared to their opponents, even in the World uh, Tour, you know, Test Championship final, Jameson, uh, you know, and New- the New Zealand batsmen added a lot more from 149 and all the way to yeah. like two, 250 plus. And India has, hasn't had that kind of converting uh, opportunities that Ravi Shastri has been talking about. So mm-hmm. are you keeping that in mind or are you just keeping that in uh, the 20 wickets in mind and let batsmen do their job? And if the yeah. bowlers can assist, what is the criteria here? Yeah, I think my criteria is you play your best specialists in in test cricket. It's the Aussie criteria. So I think there are two order of choices here. Like the first order of choice is what does the surface dictate to you? Does it dictate a three seam plus two spin attack, or does it dictate you you need six frontline batsmen? And I think that's that's like the first order of choice. But if you decide that the surface has enough to do um, to have 
enough in it to uh, bring your spinners into play, then I think you go three plus two. But if it's a really, you know, it's a green top, and as I said, if it's like Lords 2018, then you're tempted to do four plus one. But I think your fourth seamer then has to be your best fourth seamer, which I think is Siraj, right? Then you, to me, it's a little bit, um, you're shortchanging yourself a little bit by saying, okay, let my fourth seamer be a Shardul Thakur because he can do well with the bat. Um, and, and, you know, the the logical order of decision-making in my mind would be you play your best four seamers. And right now the fourth best seamer would be Siraj and you expect your batsman uh, to, to make runs. Hmm. Uh, so going back to the bowling attack, and you made a very good point, and I and I don't think it's conservative at all to play your best 11 first, even though some of the players have some question marks because it's going to be a long series. That being said, a question was fielded to me, which I shared with you. And uh, is it even a fair question if someone is saying, let's uh, make a choice between Siraj or Bumrah? Is it a no-brainer? Or you at least think there's a credibility in the question because Siraj is like kind of unknown at this level in England. But with the Duke's ball and his ability to, you know, to get the ball moving, uh, you, you think that's a legit question, or you think it's you'll just put that in the back burner? No, not for now. Maybe later. Uh, yeah, I think we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit with that question. I think it's an unfair comparison. Um, I think uh, uh, Siraj is really, really good, but I think he is India's best fourth seamer right now, and I think Bumrah is probably the first name you would put in that Indian team sheet along with Kohli. Um, so I, I don't think that's a fair comparison to either one of them, especially to Siraj. Okay, so let's uh, make uh, our move to the batting order. Again, things got actually, with, with problems sometimes, you know, comes simplicity and, you know, clarity. 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 Yeah, yeah, clarity is the word, <laughs> right. Uh, so Mayank Agarwal, we wish him the best. Looks like it was his spot and now KL Rahul is there and then Mm-hmm. Does that make the Pujara selection easy? Because there were there yeah. there are openly articles since you and I last spoke. The Kohli statement came after the World Test Championship. You know the intent talk grew, and now mm-hmm. everyone's look at the numbers. Uh, nobody's ganging up in Pujara, but the numbers for his ability, at least the runs, are little pedestrian. Of course, there have been like nine fifties yeah. and those heroic knocks in Australia, but overall he didn't even convert a lot of his chances in India. So yeah. So does this become like a blessing in disguise for him? Like he gets a clear look or you think? Uh... No, I think it I think it does. Uh, I agree with you. And I think the spotlight sort of goes away from the debate around him to how does the batting order look now? Um, but I do feel that um, it'll turn very quickly on him if after the first two tests, uh, he hasn't played a sizable part um, in India's batting effort. And that's just the unfortunate reality of um you know the, the the competition in the team and the um the expectations against him and the fact that his returns i mean to be honest have been middling um over the last 10 to 12 test matches um so yes i i definitely think there's a little bit of pressure on him going in um and it, it'll really benefit him to get a 50 plus score under his belt in in the first test in either one of the innings i think that'll give him a lot of confidence um and that'll end up securing his place for the for the rest of the series. Um, but yeah, I think for the first test match, a lot of the talk will be around who do India bring in at the top and then do they play six frontline genuine batsmen or do they play um, um, five plus month? Sure. He, he's had decent tours of Australia, more than decent three years ago. And even this year, mm-hmm. he was a factor in the last two tests. No one can deny that. So with the yep. English seam bowling options, I mean, uh, and let's even throw Rahane in. So Pujara and Rahane, you think they have their work cut out? Because, you know, there will be more than few balls that will have anyone's name 
because that's how that's how the conditions work. So yep. who who's the toughest matcher for Pujara according to you? Or does he have an advantage with now Archer not being there, which again is an unknown. He's never played Archer in these conditions. But do you think this English attack will present enough challenges for both Pujara and Rahane? Yeah, and I mean, I think you have to look at, um, you know, who the best in the opposition is from the other side, right? And that has to be Anderson um, any given day. And and to me, I think that that is the toughest challenge. I think even broad in English conditions can move the ball both ways. But I think Anderson, both with the old and the new ball, will probably be the biggest threat for India in in, in any case for all the Indian batsmen. Um, and he will have that ability to produce the magic ball like Pat Cummins does out of nowhere in the middle of a day when you think that you're on, you're on top. Um, and and so even for someone like Pujara who might grind out 150, 200 balls, right? It's it's somebody of the quality of Anderson who can get him out. Um, so to me, yes, I think um, just even for the overall in batting lineup, I think getting past Anderson and Broad will be crucial. Um, I'll be very interested to see how Mark Wood balls and if he's consistently able to play across the the uh, the five tests because he can do for England what somebody like a Wagner does for New Zealand, right? In the sense that he can bang the deck, rush batsmen, hurry them up. Um, but already, Sakib, right? If you look back to what happened in the World Test Championship, right? And the role that somebody like a Kyle Jamieson plays as, as the fourth bowler, right? And the variety that brings now that's a hole uh, in England with Stokes not being there. I'm not saying Stokes is as a bowler, you know, as good as Jameson, but it's that impact that that fourth bowler provides and the relentlessness that that fourth bowler brings. And I think that's where the challenge for England would be uh, whether their fourth bowler is going to be equally up to the task um, as the fourth seamer, basically. So that way, India could catch a break again if uh, you know there are partnerships and then there is a fourth bowler. Mm-hmm. Who is not taking wickets plus can can leak somewhat, you know, uh, yeah. some sort of runs. So yeah, that, that could be a break yeah. India, I think, can use in the series. Yeah, yeah. And another disadvantage for England is, I mean, looking at the squad, they don't have the the talisman who does very well against India in every series, which is Moin Ali. Right, Moin Ali wins them a Test match at home every series at least once against India. He did it in 2014 and 2018, and uh, he's not the he's not the spinner. So. <laughs> they'll, yeah. they'll have to get uh, Jack Leach or Dom Best to win them again, maybe at Southampton, where it's dry. Sure. So let's stay with the top three and uh, let's uh, focus a little bit on Rohit Sharma. If mm-hmm. anyone who's followed the you know fortunes of Indian cricket since, say, 2015, Pujara at the expense of Sharma or Sharma at the expense of Pujara was yep. the talk. There were a lot of articles, you know, Mukul Kesavan writing and everybody making the case why Sharma doesn't deserve a spot. But now things have changed very quickly in the last two years or so. All of us who were, again, I don't know about you, I was a bit of a Sharma basher, you know, in red ball cricket. I thought there was mm-hmm. like a huge fascination with him without him actually playing a lot of quality innings. And there was an attempt to get him a permanent slot at any anyone's expense. Yep. And Pujara and Rahane had a bit of a musical chairs there. But all mm-hmm. three men returned to the store. But uh, guess what? If someone had told me in 2017 or 18 that Sharma would be the your most reliable bet outside of Kohli, in a in a yep. team full of this kind of names, I wouldn't have taken that. So let's talk about that and how much confidence does he exude in you? I mean, what kind of a series you project? I know we're talking first two tests only here and primarily the first test. But how, how compact does he look to succeed in these conditions? Granted, the series still starting in August, but it's still England. 
Yeah, and we spoke a little bit about this on, on the last time you and I spoke. Um, and and I have um, I have high hopes. I'm very optimistic. I think um, he his game has tightened quite a fair bit. Um, you know, he he showed it in the in the WTC final as well, where he was playing the ball a little late. Uh, you know, he has the ability to play with soft hands. Um, he, he can play away from his body sometimes, but he was playing close to his body. And I think he looked one of India's best, best batsmen in, in that game. So uh, I have a lot of confidence in his ability to uh, adapt to the conditions. Um, I think he's shown that he can do reasonably well in Australia, where I think he's let himself down his boat in, in Australia as well as in, in the final. Um, he got off to a start, but he didn't convert, right? Which... For Rohit, the ODI player is like criminal, right? Because once he gets through his first 20, 25 balls in ODIs, there's no stopping him, right? And I think he has to kind of bring that same approach in test matches because there's a lot that he can give at the top of the order. And if he has a good series, then India will have a very good series. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how he goes against um, Anderson and Broad with the moving ball up front. But uh, But I think he'll do well. Yeah, and, and of course, unlike Pujara, I mean, this man has a lot of release shots, a lot of talent in, you know, executing, yep. you know, good time shots. So he won't be bogged down. And again, yep. you know, I don't want to offend anyone who backs Pujara because I do too, but I think that's a big difference. Rohit can still make, you know, uh, runs come quickly and that can sometimes alter uh, yep. how, how a bowling combination is going to be played on for. And, you know, like uh, those kind of things matter. If uh, there's no score, you can go an extra over to. So let's talk about the big guy now. You know, he's part of that rare stat that's going around the, the Indian big three. I mean, uh, Kohli, uh, Pujara and Rahane, between the three of them, they have one test hundred, right? Or something in the last 20 months. That's a ridiculous yep. number if I got the months right. But And mm-hmm. everybody would have thought it would be Kohli, but it's, it's Rahane's match-winning effort yep. at the MCG. At Melbourne, yep. Yeah. So again, Kohli is not in worrisome form, but he's definitely not the world beater he was, say, in 2018. So what has changed and you know, what, are, what are your thoughts? What, what is the outlook overall on his series and how integral he remains? Talk about that. Yeah, I think you're beginning to see a slight change in the approach. And I don't know if I'm reading too much into, into tea leaves here. Uh, and it was sort of evident a little bit at Adelaide. Um, you saw it a little bit um, in, in how he was at Southampton um, in the sense that I think he has sensed that Till about two or three years back, you know, it was a little bit about him stamping his authority on the contest and proving that he could conquer the conditions. I think if you look back at his innings at, um, you know, the, the first test in the 2018 series um, at Edgbaston, um, the way he played at Perth in, in Australia in 2018, right? Those were more like an individual sort of conquering the conditions and just stamping his greatness. Whereas I think the the current edition is a little bit more about it doesn't matter if I'm getting a hundred or not, but if I grind out a 70 or a 80 here, that's going to take the team into a really good position. And guess what? I think I need to grind myself out here a little bit because the conditions are difficult. Um, so I expect a little bit more of that approach for him, um, less flamboyance, more focus towards, um, you know, presence on the, on the wicket. And in this case, you know, you, somebody, I think somebody at Cricket Info had written an article long back that, you know, we t- keep talking about Pujara, but Kohli is actually taking some, some, uh, things from his notebook. Um, so I think I expect it to be that. I don't think we'll see the the absolute masterclass kind of innings that he showed um, at, at Ed Piston last time, but I think you'll see runs. Um, so I'm not too worried about him not being in form and all. I think what you really want to see is that solidity from him in the middle order. Um, 
because as I said, there's an opportunity here for India. If if they can get through the first 25, 30 overs with not too many wickets down, then someone like Kohli can easily bat 30, 40 overs in the day um, and, and take India into a good, solid position. Um, so I'm expecting that kind of mode and method from him um, in this series. So it's more like a mental adjustment. I mean, I don't want to use the word maturity. Yeah. He's a world-class mature batsman. So you're saying I there's no decline. It's, it's no decline, but it's just a different way of approaching the overall game than just you know yeah. putting your own masterclasses yeah. out there. Yeah, and he's in a different phase as a as a as a batsman. I think where I think he's beyond that sort of hill of you know I need to go and prove myself in these conditions because I did not do well there the last time. I think now he's in that stage where he knows the batting revolves around him um, and he needs to carry the batting along. And so if there's a tough period of play or if the conditions are difficult, then he's willing to grind it out uh, and make that 70, 80. That will take the team, you know, in a, in a more comfortable position. I think what's been disappointing is that he's done that and then suddenly there's been a collapse, right? Adelaide, I think last year was a great example in the first innings. Um, but if you see the way he played in Chennai and even in Southampton, right, that was the approach that, that he was following. Hmm. And it's fair to say again with the, what what's going on the importance at least attached to the uh, as for India as a touring side to England. I think Kohli, Anderson, this could be the final act, and this this mm-hmm. probably is uh, a bit of a Tendulkar Megra in its own way. The rivalry. Yep. Uh, Anderson had uh, you know the first one in 2014. Then Kohli came back roaring. So this is yep. like a classic. I mean, and do you think it's 50-50? You will give the edge to Kohli, given they are in their careers, or you think Anderson is still as wily and as as much of a genius out there? I think given the conditions, you have to make it 50-50. I think um, England is a place where, you know, the ball can start doing anything and the batsman only needs to nick one. Um, so I think it's, it's, it's 50-50. It'll be one of the contests of the series and it'll probably def- define where, where the series goes. Sure. So one more question in Pujara I, want, I meant to get in there. I don't know if you saw Dale Stain's analysis. This was, I think, in a mm-hmm. video podcast with Sanjay Manjrekar, I think, not too long ago. And he said when he was bowling to Pujara, you know, when Stain was in his absolute peak and Pujara played that, you know, 153, I believe, with the Wanderers, if I'm not mistaken. And he said that mm-hmm. time Pujara had more release shots for this and he would play the back foot punch and he would cut. Yeah. And he was, pull. He was pull exactly, well. and he was very strong in the legs, which he still is. So now with, you know, mm-hmm. the discipline he's brought in, uh, Stain thinks he, the, the, he's found wanting for big scores because he does all the hard work, but he's cut down on some of the shots. So again, the same question for Kohli. Do you think that's a decline or that's just a clear strategy in your view? If Pujara has cut down shop on you know certain shots? Yeah, I think it's a it is it's an adjustment. My sense is in his case, it's an adjustment based on conditions and the bowling attack. Um, because you could sense that in India he was playing more shots. I, one knock he had in, in in Chennai against England, I think he was quite more fluent than what we had seen um, during the entire tour of Australia. And I think in Australia, just given the bowling attack and and, and the conditions, he, he sort of batted in a slightly altered way. Um, but I would like to see him, you know, give himself a little bit more um, space to, to, to play some more of these shots. Especially like the pull, I think he's totally abandoned. I think that's something that he can bring back. Because if you see some of his videos from especially the 2018 Australia series, like he was pulling and, and hooking coming Cummins and Hazelwood um, at that point of time. So there's there's definitely that opportunity for him there. Uh, I think he does, uh, he might do himself a disservice by totally shelving shots that he can play very, very well. 
Um, so it'll be interesting to see how he goes about it. I don't think there'll be any major change in him in, in the way how he approaches the initial part of his innings, you know, and I expect him to be like very circumspect against Broad and, and, and Anderson. I think he'll probably treat Anderson the same way as he treated Cummins, recognizing him as like the biggest threat and, you know, seeing himself as someone who can like blunt that um, against England and play a lot of balls. I think the only thing is that unlike Australia here, there's more deviation. Um, so there are higher chances of um, the ball finding the edges of the bat, which puts his wicket at risk. Um, so yeah, um, interesting to see how he goes about, but I do think there's a case to be made that um, that if there are certain shots that he's good at, which he's shelved, he, he can probably bring them back just to make sure that, you know, he... Uh, he's able to 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 go at a certain clip, and de- depending on the conditions, I, I think I've mentioned it in one of the earlier podcasts as well. He, he's able to do that. Like if you see how he played after after lunch on the final day at Kaba when he was chasing, you know, he was uppercutting Stark and then playing more shots. So there's definitely way for him to do it. Um, um, but I think what would be disappointing for India is if we see scores of you know. Pujara playing 40, 50 or 70 balls and not getting past 20. I think I think that's a bad ROI for India because he's made that investment in spending time and consuming deliveries, but we haven't gotten the runs from him. And I think that's kind of where then the debate starts all over again with him. Yeah, it's going to be about conversion. You know, like the, you know, a good ball will have anyone's name on it or whatever the saying is. And that gets magnified yep. if you spend so many hours out there doing the hard work mm-hmm. and you don't have a hundred. And I think 100, either Sydney or Brisbane, we won't be having this conversation, even though those fifties were great. Yeah, things. I but, agree. You know, the voices are there and you can't deny the numbers. And, and Rehane, I think you're right. I think when we spoke a month ago, uh, isn't getting the same kind of, uh, the jury isn't scrutiny. out. But yeah. The scrutiny yeah. jury isn't really out there, but if you look at his numbers, take that hundred of MCG, his numbers are even more lopsided than Pujara. Mm-hmm. So again, it is pretty clear that these three men are touring England for the last time together. Kohli probably will, most yep. definitely will have another trip unless something drastic happens. But, uh, and if in, if India doesn't do well, I mean, you think, is again, same question a month later, I hope nothing changes, but do you think this is the end of uh, any one of these guys, Pujara or Rahane? It could potentially well be. And uh, my worry and fear is that uh, maybe Pujara's name is probably the first on that list. Um, you know, Rahane just, I think, being vice captain. Um, and as I, as you mentioned, like some of the more recency bias, given his knock in Australia, uh, might end up might end up surviving um, a very poor tour. But I think uh, Pujara's part was probably amongst those, those two. His spot is probably in more danger. So I think Pujara needs a good series uh, more than maybe Rahane needs one, although I think both of them definitely... Uh, Is there a lifeline if India wins up. a series? It could be, yes. Because I think then you can make that argument that you're you're traveling overseas um, and you're going to South Africa next, right? And um, you need a really solid number three uh, to be there. But if he has a really horrible series, Sake, where he's not crossed 50 even once yeah. and, you know... If he has a Kohli kind of a 2014 series, then I'm afraid. I think that's that's, yeah, that, that's the case really, really difficult. Yeah, I that, think that, his yeah. last series was decent. Again, he he didn't play the first test, but in the last series, he averaged he had 39 he, and he scored yeah, 278. He had 100 at Southampton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, had a, he had 100. Yeah, I think yeah. that kind of series will be the savior if he can get a big 100. And, a, and he also had a 72 in the win at yep. uh, Nottingham. So, yep. yeah, he did. Contribute. And then I think. 
yeah and then i think the context matters as well right because we are all fans of narrative and and we we spin ourselves and our perceptions that are narrative right so if pujara has a uh, sort of a gaba or a sydney like test right where he's stonewalled and saved india a certain defeat you know even if he's making a 30 there by batting let's say half a day to save a test match um or you know he's made a vital 45 and somebody like a pant around him has played and won the game you know then then it's the narrative then it's not the runs that that saves saves your spot right um so so a lot will depend on 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 uh, on even how like the narrative goes and what the results turn out to be for india sure so let's quickly move ahead in the batting lineup so you you did say vihari or am i putting words in your mouth as number 6 and then pant is that the lineup you're projecting if i am selecting and depending on the conditions i would probably go with pant 6 and play both jadeja and ashwin just because i think five bowlers 20 wickets um you know why not i mean unless it's a Uh, it's a really green wicket then i think you play the extra batsman for the insurance but starting out i would probably play pant at 6 and and jadeja at 7 all right so that's your 11 so let's look at the mm-hmm. opponents now again yep. uh, this batting order like my second question is uh, if even ben stokes was there i would say uh, batting is where both teams will be found wanting and you know with stokes out and yep. this quality indian attack which is kind of seasoned this is the second time around for at least everyone and Ishant has been there a lot more than the others. So, who who, who does England look up to as as a as a main batsman besides Root? And you know, size size them up for us and anyone who hasn't paid attention. What kind of top five are we looking at? Yeah, I mean, I think you you have to look at um, people like you know Zach Crawley um, and and folks like Ali Pope. You know, even Dom Sibley. Like Sibley uh, plays. a bit like pujara right he's is a more of a holding batsman he can size up the deliveries right so some of those difficult periods of play he can see you out um crawley demonstrated with with his not last year against pakistan that you know there's there's a lot to him and i and i and i just one of the things that one of the reasons why i was a little hesitant in thumping the table and saying oh india are overwhelming favorites for this is because our perception of the england batting lineup might be a bit tailored by what we saw in india and in india a lot of these guys especially the younger ones were touring india for the first time they were playing playing on really turning wickets right um and and their skills against spin were found out but they're not going to face the same problems at home um and if if the ball's not doing a lot um and the wickets are relatively good for batting then then they'll do well right and they they actually showed that in uh, in in chennai as well where root played well but some of the others around him played well equally right so when they are on a good good track um they they can more than you know hold up their own so to, to me i think it'll be it'll, it'll be important how you know people like sibley and crawley and ali pope shape up um you know because i think those um those folks um are are kind of where in england has invested its talent right um and who comes in for uh, stokes as a proper batsman come in because he does play as a top order batsman who could of course lend a lot of balance by bowling quality 15 overs and even taking you know a wicket or two but who does who comes in here an all rounder or a batsman i mean it's a, it's an interesting question and a trade off right i mean you could say okay uh, we 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 play sam curran and then we go with anderson broad uh, mark wood ali robinson as like the four four you know four seamers or we go as curran as the fourth seamer and we go with one spinner right so that basically then means you're you're essentially uh you know uh playing five batsmen and 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 butler right um so there's a little bit of a trade off i i think what they'll do is it opens up um a room for them to play curran as the fourth seamer and then wood comes in i think as 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 the third seamer and they play a spinner um 
I, I'd, I'd be surprised if they go in with like five out and out seamers. Um, that might happen again if you have a pitch like Lords 2018 where Root is then spinning the ball for them uh, because he can give them overs. But I think starting out of the gate, I, I anticipate, um, you know, it, it solidifies Karan's part um, and and gives them three other seats. So that basically means they have five genuine top order bats and then Butler bats at, at six. Bairstow is in the squad. Again, pardon my ignorance. I'm hosting a podcast, but is he a contender for the 11 as a pure batsman? Not necessarily in my books because Bairstow, to my mind, for somebody who's played 75 test matches, has a very middling average. I think he averages like somewhere in like the 30s. So um, so I'm not sure whether um, Bairstow as, um, as, as, a, as a test bat on his own can really hold it. Um, I think England would be better. And this is kind of where I think England sometimes uh, fall between two stools because they try to do too much with, with, their, with their players, right? They, they, they expect uh, a keeper who's a great stroke maker, but then they also want him to be a test opening bat, right? Uh, I think they'll be better off going with specialists. Um, so, you know, have Sibley and Burns at the top, you know, have Root, have Ollie Pope, uh, Dan Lawrence, Zach Crawley, right? Have, have a solid top five of genuine batsmen. Uh, have Butler and then you know have their have their all rounder and the four bowlers. So they don't bat as deep as they used to all of a sudden Stokes and Moin Ali and all those names. So that so it that's the difference like... that that's the difference that somebody like Stokes not being there makes, right? Because then Stokes can bat at six, Butler bats at seven, Curran bats at eight, you know, Mark Wood comes in at nine, who can also bat reasonably well. And then you're looking at a totally different side, right? Whereas with Stokes gone, you know, it's almost as if you then you're pushing um, you know, you, you, you start pushing uh, everybody up a number because if you get a genuine bat in place of Stokes, then you're left with just four ballers. Um, and if you want to play that fifth bowler, then you have to play Curran a level. You know, Curran has to yeah. bat a number higher. He has to bat at seven. He can't yeah, bat at eight. Absolutely. We've talked about Stokes. We've talked about Archer. We haven't even spoken about Chris Stokes, another absentee from mm-hmm. the series again. And that yep. also solidifies our point how deep that batting lineup could have been if all those options were available for England. Yeah, because Chris Wokes would have played and he probably batted at nine. Yeah, that's a ridiculous top nine <laughs> in yeah. these conditions, yeah. Especially in home conditions, yeah. All right, so I think we, we covered quite a lot, uh, I think, uh, with the first test again. Let's uh, weigh in. I think it's uh, it's going to be an overcast week. That's what I saw. Rainy conditions. Uh, again, toss becomes imperative for yep. any visiting team. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the best case scenario? Kohli wins a toss and India put up like 350 plus. Is that going to be good enough for the first innings? Yeah, I think for for just India to settle their nerves and and kind of get comfortable in the series, um, winning the toss and is putting somewhere between three hundred to three fifty in the first innings, depending on the conditions, I think would be would be something that they would they would strive for, and I think they would take happily. Um, I think they would they would they would want uh, you know their batsmen to kind of get some time in the middle. Um, you know, best case scenario for India would be they come out of that first test with some of their batting question marks ticked off, right? Like Rahul is not a failure across both the innings. Uh, Pujara gets some runs, right? Um, that, that'll kind of mean that their top five or six is reasonably settled then for the rest of the series. I expect some turnover to happen in the bowling, just given the workload that the bowlers will have to carry. But I think for them, really, it'll be really important that they're not chopping and changing their, their top five or six um, every test match, which is something they ended up doing in the first part of the, of the 2018 tour. Um, there's there's just a lot of churn due to due to them losing the first two games. Absolutely. All right. So, do do you want to do a quick uh, who's who for the series, or uh, you know, 
uh, with score lines and I can even join in the most wicket taker, I mean, the, the fun stuff. And then we can talk about some of the nostalgia for the last 15 minutes that has happened yeah, over the I mean, last I five think, tours. Sorry. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I think, I think for India, like it's, it's um, you know, obviously like Kohli stands out. To me, in my mind, I think uh, how well uh, we, we've we've talked about Pujara and Rahane, but I think how, how good uh, a series uh, Rohit Sharma has um, as well will, I think, um, make a lot of difference. Because some of India's uh, issues with the Pujara or Rahane can be compensated if Rohit has a really good series. Um, and I'm not expecting, you know, Kohli to have a horror show like 2014. I think there'll be runs in the bank with Kohli, right? So Kohli needs someone around him who can who can have good series, who can have a few 50s, maybe 100, you know, across the test match. I think Rohit is, is a key player um, in my mind. And then the other critical factor for me is, you know, over this is a five test series. It's a long series, right? And we saw in a in a COVID environment what a four test series did to India's personnel in Australia last year, right? There, the key for me would be: do the bowlers have enough left in the tank uh, to last the five test matches, right? Um, because that was an issue for India in 2018. By the time they reached, you know, the over, the, the fast bowlers were spent. You know, the, the, the second innings of, of of the oval test, India would like to forget. Um, so, so that to me, I think is 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 a critical factor. I was very worried about it um, before the Ben Stokes thing happened uh, because Stokes as a fifth bowler uh, or the fourth seamer takes away a lot of the load that you know Broad Anderson and if it's Mark Wood as a third seamer, they would have had to carry. Right now, England sort of faced that problem as well. Um, so how the bowlers manage their workload across the two series and which bowling unit still stays fresh enough, I think will probably end up deciding the outcome. I think from England's perspective, um, the, the key to me would be the, their three younger batsmen, Pope, uh, Crawley and, and, and Dan Lawrence and how good of a series they have because Root will score runs. Root, Root's, you know, he, he's a world-class batsman and he'll have a decent series and you expect Butler to do well on and off, but who revolves and bats around route, um, I think would be would be crucial. Um, and uh, and it'll be important for India not to go 2-0 down in the first two test matches because I think okay. if that's done, then the series are done. All right, that's pretty comprehensive. So let's move to one-word answers. Who wins the series? I say India 3-1. Um, I would probably go with India, but I'll probably say 2-1. I expect one or two games to probably be affected by rain. Okay. All right. Uh, who scores the most runs for India? I say Kohli. That's easy, but yeah, yeah I, I, I'm going to take a punt. I'll go with Rohit. I'm, right. I'm, I'm very optimistic about Rohit. Okay. Who's the biggest failure of the Indian batting lineup? Oof. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to jinx my man, but I'm okay. I mean, <laughs> oh, I'll uh, say Pujara. <laughs> um, I have doubts over KL Rahul. If KL Rahul plays, I am not sure how tight his technique is uh, at the top of the order. So I think I won't be surprised if we see that spot. Uh, have a fair amount of rotation over the five test matches. Got it. Who takes the maximum wickets for India? I say Ishant. Um, and that with the caveat, there will be a lot of bowling changes, I think. Like I go with you. The, yeah, the only reason why I'm not going with Ishant is I don't think he'll play all the five test matches. Um, I, I, I think either through injury or just through workload management, he might, he might, uh, we might see him missing out a little bit. Um, to me, it's Bumrah or Ashwin. I'll probably go with Bumrah, I think, just given the, the conditions and all. Um, and since it's his second tour, and I think he's had some time to reflect on 
um, slightly disappointing performance he had in the World Test Championship final. So we'll see how he goes. Sure, that was me at my conservative best <laughs> uh, with Ishant. <laughs> All right, so I think we covered this, and then uh, we have ten minutes left. I booked an hour with you. Let's talk about some of the nostalgic tours, and we are not going way back into nostalgia. We are going mm-hmm. at the top of the century, two thousand two. When mm-hmm. uh, Tendulkar, Dravid, Ganguly, they all visited uh, mm-hmm. England and, and f- faced against the likes of uh, Freddie Flintoff and, and, and company. So, yep. so what, what do you have in mind? I mean, I put down some numbers. I'll let you do the unpacking. Uh, yep. Tendulkar, you know, average 66 with 401 runs in 2002. Dravid had a magical mm-hmm. series. He averaged 100 with 602. Yep. What do you remember of that series? And if you want to unpack couple of lines on that series for those who are listening here. Yeah, so uh, I saw a lot of that test test and, and the one day series. Um, I was um, I was in my in my second year of my college, so I had a lot of free time. Those were the days. Um, and I remember the, the tour actually started um, just as my summer vacation or holidays. You know, we still had those in, in, in Delhi University <laughs> were coming to a close. So I actually saw um, some of the initial one day games. I was at my grandparents' house in, in Chandigarh and then I came over to Delhi and, you know, I was in at my house when the, the NatWest final happened. Uh, and then the schedule was so sort of beneficial with the game starting at three o'clock that I saw a lot of a lot of the cricket, um, you know, without any sort of pressures of having to study. Um, and one of my sort of favorite moments um, from that tour is actually the, um, the the Nottingham test where India had to bat out in the last innings to save the game. Um, and that was, I think, really sort of a tense final day. Um, and you know, Ganguly batted well. Lakshman played well. Dravid. So the all the four of them, uh, starting from Dravid, Tendulkar, Ganguly, and Lakshman, uh, all got fifties. And I think Parthiv Patel batted for a really long period of time with 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 Zaheer Khan, if I'm not wrong, to you know to save the test. And there's one distinct memory I have from that is Nasir Hussain was really having a go at at the Indian batsmen. He was trying to kind of rile them up um, because he was trying to force a win and. That win would have meant England, you know, being two nil up in the series, and Harsha Bhogle was in the air, and there was this whole sort of, you know, context and background with Nasser getting angry at the press in the NatWest final and pointing to his shirt and all that. And I still remember Harsha's word where he said, you know, sometimes making a point becomes more important than the point itself. Um, <laughs> so that that was that was an interesting one, and I and I kept that quote for future debates about you know sledging and mental disintegration and all those things. But uh, but yeah, I, I think that that was. Uh, that that was an interesting day where I kind of sat glued to my chair and didn't move. Um, and then the Headingley test was amazing. I didn't expect India would win it. And um, it was very refreshing to see Ganguly decide to bat. Could have totally gone horrible on, on that first morning. Um, um, but but uh, but Dravid played really well. And again, there's an anecdote in uh, Dravid's uh, book, Timeless Steel, where I think... Uh, Bangar plays a very wafty shot outside off stump and Dravid goes up to him and says, boss, this is not Karnal Singh or I think it's a Karni Singh stadium where railways play and it's like a flat deck. Um, so I think Sanjay Bangar has written it in, in the article he wrote in, in that Timeless Steel collection. Um, yeah, yeah, I remember but, reading uh, that. That's, that put a uh, smile but, on my face, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you don't expect you know, somebody like and, and, admonishing a colleague like that. And in all fairness, we should also mention that probably was the last great series of Ganguly the bat as captain because he averaged 58. That's true. 
Although I would say his high watermark as a as a as a batsman was his innings in in Brisbane, because I don't think Ganguly as a Test batsman there's really much to see after that. Um, but, Indeed, but, but again, you know, uh, again, you would know better. Like the bowling attack wasn't stacked. It's no fault of his. I agree. Yeah. I agree. I, yeah. I agree, but but I think if you're looking as a collective uh, run getting across a, across a series, then yes, the England 2002 is probably probably the last one in in that Ganguly career before you know he comes back and maybe goes to South Africa in 2006, uh, where he had a couple of good knocks. So let's move on to the 2007 series, which we won under Rahul Dravid and me and Sid. We yep. discuss some of those you know key points as him stepping down. As captain, yeah. he also had an average series with the bat because that was probably the end of his mm-hmm. captainship. He averaged 25, but uh, Ganguly made a comeback that series, and he was again or was his comeback here, but he he was quite productive in that series in 2007. Yeah, yeah, and it was interesting. Uh, I I was compiling my favorite batting performances from India's last sort of five series, uh, and nothing from 2007 really jumped to my mind, right? I, and I think primarily because the third test was just played on a batting beauty. And I'm glad Anil Kumble got his hundred, but you know it 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 came in a score of seven hundred. Um, and then the the first two tests were more like battle battles of attrition, um, where you know India kind of uh, managed to prevail in the second one. But yeah. what did stand out to me was Zahir Khan in in Nottingham, right? And I I was looking at the scorecard and he had figures of like four for fifty nine and five for seventy five, um, and he kind of prized out. England's best batsman in that spell. Like these were not cheap wickets of tailenders. Like he was bowling seriously well, and he was coming off a, you know, great season at Worcester in in 2006. Um, and this was this was a huge series. I mean, in in my mind, through and through. Um, you know, he he was kind of like the reason why India ended up winning. Um, and I remember actually wrapping that series up with a little bit of a disappointment because I thought, you know, with the first inning score they had at the Oval, they they should have pushed a little bit harder for a win. Um, but and again, not, not safe, and he wanted to keep yeah. the series. And I just wanted to add what you said, you know, like because uh, bowling, you know, wins test match and test series. And if you look at the numbers, Tendulkar averaged 38 in the series, Dravid averaged 25, Lakshman, this was the best outing in England. He averaged 51, but only scored 205 runs, didn't play all the tests. Mm-hmm. Ganguly, yep. 49 average, Sehwag wasn't even in the team, Jaffer averaged 30. So it was a collective effort. There was no superstar, yep. and that's why you don't remember anything. You know, mm-hmm. from that series, mm-hmm. but India did win this. Yeah. And um, I plan to do another episode on the Greg Chapel years if I can get the right kind of guess. But uh, during my research, someone did say that, uh, in a way, if Chapel hadn't dro- dropped Ganguly and Zahir Khan, they wouldn't have come back with that kind of a, you know, vengeance, a point to prove. And it showed in the series. Chapel was gone, but they were playing well. Yep. So no, sometimes that's, that's a, it, that dropping was a, a blessing point. in disguise. Yeah. People may not want to admit, but, you know, yep. 14 years later, we can give. That kind of a credit, you know, maybe it wasn't supposed to work that way, but it definitely yeah. paid dividends. So let's move on to 2011 again. This was all Dravid. No one else, you know, came yeah. close. He averaged 76. <laughs> Is this his greatest yeah. effort, according to you? Uh I think it is, and I had a very hard time picking his um, his his best hundred. Um, although for for some reason, I I rank his 148 at Leeds in 2002. Above um, above his hundreds in in 2011, I think purely because it came on a first day morning with a moving ball, and it came in, on on a on a winning in a winning cause on a pitch that was 
Mm. not expected to give anything to the batsman. But I had a hard time picking um, my favorite out of his 300s in 2011. And I eventually went in with Lords, uh, partly sentimental reasons because he had missed out in 96. Um, you know, and so there was this whole romanticism about, you know, Dravid finally getting his due. Um, and, and, you know, um, partly because at that point of time, he was still able to keep India in, in the game. Um, but but yeah, that, that's all that stands out from 2011. And I don't think there's much else to remember. No, Tendulkar uh, averaged 34 except, and Lakshman yeah. averaged 22, Sehwag 10.5. Yeah. And I didn't even look yeah. for Gambhir stats. They were horrible too, right? Yeah, don't. Yeah, don't. Don't, don't, do, don't do that. <laughs> you don't even want to see where Gambhir was batting. You know, I think there's one test match where he batted at like seven or eight or, you know, because he was concussed and, and out and... Um, that, but one one thing I, I, it did stand out for me. Like, uh, Praveen Kumar had, had had a very good sort of you know workman like spell at Lords, but Ishan Sharma in um, in in the second innings at Lords, you know, really opened the door for India. And I felt that uh, that was a really good spell by him. I think he he he, he took four for fifty nine, and England were sixty two for five at one stage. And this was a three man Indian bowling attack um, because this was that point where there was no no sort of fifth bowler. So suddenly India, you know, were, were just left with like, you know, uh, four, three bowlers, um, three frontline bowlers in the lineup. Um, so, so that was like a really spirited effort and had, you know, one more wicket fallen then, you know, probably India would not have won, you know, but wouldn't have lost as badly as they did. Um, and of course, Ishant kind of went on to do one better in 2014 at Lords. Um, okay, but, uh, to- totally. That's yeah. that I remember. Sorry for the intervention, but total random drift here. Raveen Kumar. Uh, what is your take on his career? Again, if there is a best bowling lineup for English conditions, is he a contender? Because a lot of us believe you know, he, at his best, could have been a dream bowler in England. Of course, his career is not doesn't have the longevity of some of the other uh, bowlers in his generation. What do you remember of him? And do you think he was hard done by, I don't know, by, by luck, by life? I mean, where, where do you see his career? I mean, yeah, and it's a curious one, right? Because you you come across these players sometimes, and you feel, you know, oh, if if this person was there <laughs> in this condition at that point of time, you know, they would have done so well. And you're right. I mean, you know, um, Wait, put your narrative Raveen hat Kumar, on. Let's not be analytical. <laughs> yeah, but but and I was, that's where I was going with with the narrative on Praveen Kumar. Had he been born an Englishman, who would have probably easily played forty to fifty Test matches. Because England would have played him at home and then they would have taken him overseas and played him everywhere else, right? Um, but, but I think uh, for, for India, and, and, and to be fair to Praveen, I think it's just eventually injuries that ultimately, you know, caught up with him. I think Dhoni had a, had a soft spot for him. Um, and, and Dhoni liked him as a, as a cricketer. Um, and for the longest time, I think Dhoni kind of kept him going um, in the in the one day side as well, because he played a fair amount of one day cricket, white ball cricket at home, where there was value in him doing um, in the initial overs what somebody like a Bhuvi or a Deepak Chahar can do, right? Which is kind of move the ball around and get something, get some wickets with the new ball. Um, but eventually, I think the injuries kind of just caught up with him, and given the talent pipeline and maybe some of the off-field issues he had as well you know it's difficult to to get come back in the team um, but yeah for for everything else right Praveen Kumar has that spark of flame um, from from 2011 where you know he kind of was the man carrying the Indian attack on his shoulders um, and just kept bowling and bowling and bowling as much as Dhoni wanted him to a captain's I mean every, every captain would like to have that kind of a bowler in their team right like you can just hand over the ball at any point of time and get a good 10-12 spell out and he mm. won't complain 
All right, so that leaves us with 2014 and 2018. We all we have already talked about Kohli's two tours, you know, uh, how he overcame the Anderson, you know, that debacle in the series and came back with 593 at an average of 59. Uh, if you want to compare, again, we are being total fans here. Uh, you know, whatever objectivity mm-hmm. you have, you can leave it and just be yourself for a minute. Uh, Kohli's 593 because it was still part of in a losing series, but he stamped his authority, stamped his class compared to Dravid's you know, 2011, which was 461 at an average of 76, which stands out. Which one would you po- uh, pick? Sorry, book. What's going on here? Which which one do you pick? So I think as a as a as a series aggregate and a series performance, I'd probably put collectively Dravid above Kohli 2011, just because Dravid is late in his career, has made a technical adjustment, you know, to play the ball side on, um, is playing around a lose, is in a losing team where nobody else is standing up, right? So I think beyond a point, mentally, it starts kind of getting to you as a batsman. And he kept two, uh, right? And in playing, match? Yeah, and I think he opened in, in one of the games. I don't remember if he kept or not. Or okay. um, but he moved around. He started at three, then he opened. Um, one of his hundreds was actually as an opener. I think he probably carried his bat or was the last guy out. Um, so, so Dravid was like all over the place, asked to do pretty much everything um, and did it. And and he is kind of the only sort of, you know, building standing amongst, amidst a set of ruins um, in, in India. And he, and, and he's playing against um, Anderson Broad, Tremlett and Anderson and Broad, uh, six seven years younger than than um, than what they were in 2018, but as an individual performance, I think Kohli's 149 at Birmingham is by far, if you look at the last 20 years and the best individual batting performance by an Indian in England, I think that has to be it. You know, just state of the Test match, context of the batsman, the kind of bowler he's up against. You know, the challenges he faced, like he played played and missed quite a fair bit. Luck went his way, got dropped, right? But the fact that, you know, he made 149 and India's like overall score was about, I think, 260, 270. So like made a lion's share and then he got a 50 in the second innings and could have won India the game. That could have been Kohli's test match for, for all you know, right? Um, yeah. So I think from an individual batting perspective over the last 20 years, that's that that's top of my list. But collectively, I think. Yeah. No, uh, it said, it said the series up again. A better series. You're right. It set the series up and they competed. They lost, but it set the series up. I just want to know what yep. the control numbers are because I remember Sanket, who's a common friend of the podcast. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I follow his tweets pretty closely and he said when Pujara got that 100, that Pujara's 100 was even better than Kohli's, which is hard to believe. So I need to find the yep. tweet and maybe even ask him and see if Sidby or KD, anyone can give us get us the, con- uh, the control numbers for the two innings. But I think yep. we covered quite a lot and we have at least an hour for the listeners to tune in with less than 46 hours left for the test match. Thank mm-hmm. you, Aftar, for doing this. Hopefully, we'll do this at least a couple more times this season. It's a long series. Uh, we'll have you back and we can probably discuss more. But I think, uh, as as always, you were fantastic and you gave a lot of time and hopefully uh, people enjoy the conversation. Happy to do it again, Sakib, and thanks for having me.